finishing up a series. Well, I think we're finishing up a series. I'm going to finish this series anyways. But next week, um, Jamie Schur will be uh, here, and uh, he's always awesome. So hopefully you're able to make uh, it here next week. He might talk on this subject as well. But if not, then for the record, we are uh, just finishing it up. But I like what Gary said uh, as, uh, during the announcement part just of, of the, the, the steps and the order of those steps. We spent the last three weeks talking about, um, uh, about part of uh, this topic of identity and who you are in Christ. And uh, tonight we're going to sort of finish up with another part, but it is definitely the second step. So if you're here, it's your first night, you're like, well, this is, you know, the first part I've heard. It's the second step. Uh, and I'd encourage you to go listen online. And if you are listening online, glad to have you with us. So we're going to jump right in. Um, over the last number of weeks, we learned uh, that that there's something that we primarily identify our lives by or with. Sometimes it's our culture. Like we've talked, you know, for the Dutch people, for some of them, that's their identity. And it affects every other part of their life, including their wallets. And, you know, there's others that identify with their gender or they identify with their past. And so our challenge originally was to say that, that to help us find our um, primary identity in who God says we are. To say, you know what, there's lots of things that other people say I am. There's lots of things I think I am. But God, who do you say that I am? And to identify with that and allow that to affect every other area of our life. And so we talked about this idea of being in Christ. And we use this pool as our, uh, as our little illustration that when you're in Christ, uh, we lost some balls. But it was full of, you know, a lot of those, those kids, eh? Those Kingsway kids. And they're, part of them are mine. So I can't really blame them all. But it's full of other things that come with Christ. Things like, if you're in Christ, you're loved. You're just loved. He can't not love you. Uh, and so it's not based on whether you're a good boy this week or a bad boy. You're just loved. And you are forgiven because of what Jesus did on a cross, not how well you behave this week. And you're accepted. Whether anybody else accepts you or not, you're accepted in Christ and can live in that and live out of that acceptance. And then we talked last Last week about the, the, the thought that we're actually um, heirs of an incredible inheritance. We told the story of Mephibosheth and how he lived his whole life in, in fear and in poverty and in a place where he, uh, he didn't have to be there. All that he had to come to realize is who he really was and what had been done for him. And it's the same thing we wanted to encourage you with. Christ has done some incredible things for you so that you could live in it, so that you could be in Christ. And the greatest part of that wasn't, you know, that you could be rich, and it wasn't that you could be healed, and, and it wasn't just that you could be forgiven or that you could feel loved. All of those things are part of it and are great, but it was so you could have a relationship with Him, that you could be called the friend of God. That, that's mind-boggling when you think about it, but that's what He paid a dear price for. Uh, and so one of the... Um, one of the biggest reasons for us to understand our identity and one of the biggest reasons we talked about it uh, of knowing our identity in Christ really doesn't have all that much to do with us. It's not the most important part is that we, um, is for us to understand our identity. It's how us understanding our identity in Christ affects other things. So, you know, uh, we identify with certain things. I want to just do a little test. We're going to have a little, you can, you can jump in if you want. If you hate being involved and you're just like, I just want to sit and look, no problem. But if you want, you can jump in. I want you to try and identify some of these characters by certain characteristics that they have. So we identify, you know, we, people are identified. Anybody know whose hair that is? Right, that's Donald Trump. Very good. Anybody know, uh, anybody know who, uh, whose eyes those are? 
Yeah, yeah, Vano, right? You got it. How about, how about this? Anybody know whose tattoo that is? How do you know that, Tina? Seriously. All uh, right, it's Justin Bieber. You got it. Uh, and and, and how, about, how, about, how about this? Not Toronto Maple Leafs. It's like the Maple Leaf fans, like Austin Matthews. Okay, that's just for the Sunday crowd and Aaron Constable, who's not here. He's probably watching the game. And then whose chin is this? Yeah, there you go. That's pretty good. You know them by their chin. What is it? We, we, you, you probably also know her by her voice, right? If you heard hello, you know, you'd know if she was singing or if I was singing it. It's definitely, there, there's a difference. You, you know, if you've seen any like those, those nature shows where you hear Morgan Freeman's voice, you're like, oh yeah, that's him. I watched this, car, um, this movie called Sing um, with, uh, I don't know, it was a pig singing or something with my kids. But yeah, I recognize Matthew McConaughey's voice. You know, he's got something about, about his voice that you just recognize. And you recognize and you can identify these people based on characteristics or based on certain things. But my, my question for you tonight is, how would people identify you? They're all right, like, what? oh, man, you know, how would my parents, like, identify me or describe me? How would, how would my friends, how would other people in the church, if, if this group over here had to say something about that group over there, how would you identify them? You know, she's the cat lady uh, who talks a lot, you know, or she's the dog person, um, you know, or, or he's the bass is too loud in his car in the parking lot guy, uh, or she's the bakes muffins for everyone lady, or he's the cool dirt bike kid, right? Like, how would you identify, or how would you think other people would identify you? And maybe you're like, he's the swears too much at work guy, you know? Or you start thinking about those things, you're like, oh man, like I, I, I really wouldn't want them to like identify me with some of those thoughts. So my question tonight is this, how do you wish people would identify you? How do you wish they would say, this, you know, that person, that Mark, and there's a whole bunch of us here, how would they identify that mark based on the other marks in this place? How would they identify you? And so tonight I just want to take a look at that because you can do some things that will help decide how you would be identified. So people in the Bible, they were identified by different things as well. There's just certain, certain things where there's like very few sentences written about them, but they're amazing sentences. There's a lady named Dorcas, really unfortunate name, but she had a great identity uh, based in the Bible. And it says this in, in Acts chapter 9, verse 36. It says, there was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas, and she was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. You know, that would be pretty sweet to have that said about you. You know, years, years after you're gone, this is what they wrote, and this is how you remembered, not by, you know, how they made fun of your name, but that you, you did kind things for others, and you helped poor people. This is the one I want on my tombstone, other than the first part of it. Um, but Acts chapter 11, right here, you know, it says Barnabas. I just would like that changed, you know, to Mark. Was a, was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith, and many people were brought to the Lord. I, that's, that's what I would want. As I read the whole book of Acts, that one verse jumped out at me. and said, you know what? I want people to identify me based on something like that. They can't do that yet, but I'm not dead yet either, so we got time. But you know, Jesus, Jesus talked about how people were identified as well. So, you know, there's a very fa- anybody know his most famous message? Sermon on the rhymes with count. 
Mount, good, all right, we're, we're together. I'm just trying to help. Just, Gary, it worked for you, so all right. Um, the Sermon on the Mount, as he's coming to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, you can find it in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. He gets to the end, and he, he begins to talk about this topic, and he introduces an identifier for us. He, he introduces an identifier we don't really use very often, and it's this identifying word called fruit. You know, you don't tell people they're a fruit. You don't really say to anybody, hey, man, I like your fruit, right? Like, we just don't use that term. If you look, uh, you know, if you even Google that, weird things Christians say, one of them is be fruitful. You know, like, it just, it's one of those words we don't really use, and yet Jesus used it as, as, as an identifier of people, and, and we want to look at that tonight. So Matthew chapter 7, if you have your Bible or you got you version, or um, you can follow along up here and hope that we're not playing an April Fool's joke on you, and this is really what it does say, right? But it says this, Matthew chapter 7. Jesus uh, says to them at the end of this message, he says, you know, beware of false prophets. Beware means be cautious. There's people out there that they're going to sound good. They're going to they're gonna teach things, and, and they're going to be persuasive. Uh, but he says, you know what, be careful. Be cautious of this. He says, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep. And for some, it says in sheep's clothing. So they'll, they'll look like shepherds, possibly. They look like they've got your best interests in mind, but really... They're vicious wolves. And the words ravenous wolves, they're, they're thieving wolves. They're not there to give something to you. They're coming to get something from you. And it says, you know what? You can, you can tell the difference. And, and for some, they're just like, I hear it too. And we were talking about this at our small group, I think, about how on, on television there's these TV evangelists. And one person, he's, he's praying for his friend because she keeps giving money to these people and she has no money. She's like, I can't pay my bills. And he's looking through her mail and she's like, She's got all kinds of, like, um, give me, send me money, uh, things uh, uh, in, in the mail. And, and he's like, and I know, I just want to kind of chuck those out, you know. And so she doesn't get them, but he knows he can't do that. But he knows she's sending her this money. And it's all about, you know, what, what you can get. There's a danger in that. He says, you know, how do you identify? Well, they sound so good on TV. I mean, they look so good. The pictures of the gazillions of people getting saved, it, it must be true. They can't fake stuff on television. How do you identify? And Jesus just gave this thing. He said, listen, beware. Look out for false prophets, and here's how you can identify them. He's saying you can identify them by their fruit. He says this is, um, it says that is by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? He's saying obviously the answer is no. And so he's talking about good trees bear good fruit, bad trees bear bad fruit. And verse 20 says, yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. He's saying, you know what, they might sound really good, but it's not about what they say. It's about what they do. What are they doing? What actions show that there's something that's happening in their heart? How does it affect their lives? You can see where their identity is coming from based on the fruit that identifies their life. And so the disciples are sitting there like, I don't know, okay, that was a good sermon. It's probably going to be like the best one ever, but they're just sitting there kind of wondering. We've never really heard about this idea of we're supposed to be fruitful, but no problem. We, this guy is cool. We're going to follow him. And so they left the mountain. They spent two years on like the most epic missions trip ever. They, fought, they were with Jesus, right? And so, you know, one day there's people getting healed. The next day there's 5,000 people eating for free. You know, then there's a guy raised from the dead. Then one of my buddies walks on water. Like this is like, I would love to be on a mission trip like that. I, I just can't lie. That would have been, that would have been awesome. And then the Pharisees come, and, and these religious guys, they start asking Jesus, like, 
really tough questions. And all of his buddies are like, what's Jesus going to do with that one? And then he's like, ta-da! And he gives them this zinger that they're all like, oh, it's amazing! How does he do it all the time? Like, it's like he knows everything. It's, he knows everything, right? And, and so they... Um, but he's like, man, he's got awesome answers. And, and, then, and then crowds would come around Jesus, and he would tell these stories. And he'd talk about farmers one day, and then, and then he's hanging out with these, on the beach, and he starts talking about fishermen. And then this guy's complaining about taxes, and so then he starts talking about Caesar and coins and faith and mustard seeds and gardening and, and sheep and shepherds and, and all of those things. You know, they, they all mean something for each of those lives of the people that were listening in that moment. Sometimes his disciples sitting there, they understood. They're like, oh, I know what he's talking about to that guy. That was definitely for that rich young ruler. I get what they're saying. And then other times they're like, Jesus, after everyone else leaves, like, Jesus, we were smiling and nodding like we got it, but we don't get it. Can you tell us? Can you tell us what... What do you mean by that? Like the, the guy throws seeds out and the birds come and, and we don't get that one. And so he'd sit there and he'd explain it to them. And there was a number of times where they'd sit there and they'd scratch their heads and be like, Jesus, you do everything opposite of what we think you're going to do. And you say everything opposite of what we think you're going to say. It's like, we, it's like you speak a different language. We, we sort of understand. We know we like it. We don't always get it. And so there's all these time over this two years where there's those head-scratcher moments. And then a couple years later, they're sitting down together at dinner. Jesus is there. Twelve disciples are sitting around dinner. Maybe there were some others. And all of a sudden, at this dinner table, he starts saying all of these things, one after another, that they're just like scratching their heads wondering, what does he mean? I don't know about your dinner table, but at mine, my kids... It's like when you get them all together, all of a sudden they got to tell everybody what happened during the day. And you're like, some of the stuff they say, I'm just like, that is so bizarre. Where did they learn that? You know, I'm like, they're homeschooled. It must be their mom, right? But I'm like, this is, this is like weird stuff, right? I can't, I can't even tell you. Sometimes I got to close the, the blinds because my kids are dancing on their chair. It's on the table. I'm like, oh, man, you know what? If anybody saw it, and I'm like, this is just bizarre. But but this is kind of like that moment for them. Here they are all sitting around the table. And Matthew and John, they, this, like they had dinner hundreds of times over that time frame. But they write about this one. And these two guys, Matthew and John, who were eyewitnesses of the event, they're also the ones who wrote the, the letters or the books that we know as Matthew and John. They wrote them. And, and, and uh, so as they were eyewitnesses and earwitnesses to what was happening, here's, here's what they said. You know, the beginning of John, you can see it in John chapter 13. I think you read the end, closer to the end of Matthew. But John begins to write down some of this stuff. And he's like, first, you know, we come to dinner. And then Jesus, like, he starts washing our feet. Like, that's what we have servants for. Nobody wants to do that. Like, he's the teacher. If anybody should be washing his feet, well, it shouldn't be this guy. And Jesus is like, okay, guys, I'm going to tell you something. The lowest is the highest. Let's say it together. The lowest is the highest. Oh, you guys too. That's good. And then he says, you know, the least is the greatest. And they're like, okay, it's another one of his things, you know. It's like upside down. It's backwards. But okay, well, it sounds cool. And then, then they have dinner. And it's like this really, really special dinner. They do this once a year. They sit down for this thing called the Passover dinner, which they remember back when their forefathers in Egypt were rescued out of slavery. And they have this meal. 
once a year. It's like we do Christmas dinner or Easter dinner. It's that once a year thing that's really, really special. And it's got, it's loaded with meaning. And then Jesus steps up at the end. And he says, okay, fellas, we've celebrated this, you know, for hundreds of years, thousands of years. Uh, now I'm going to change the game. Now we're going to do this from now on. You're going to just celebrate me. It's like, I've said it before, it'd be like me coming to your house on Christmas Day and saying, hey, thanks for having me over. You know, we usually celebrate Christmas about Jesus or Santa, but whatever, now it's me. You know, from now on, as you give gifts, I'm giving you this in Mark Vanderweer's name. Awesome. You guys would be like, we're leaving this place. This guy's like a false teacher, right? But it's like, this guy's crazy. But his disciples are sitting there like, that doesn't, I don't know. This doesn't make sense. Jesus, how are you changing all the rules? And they scratch their heads. He says, you know what, from now on, you're going to do this to remember me. And then he says, you know, after that, he's like, you guys know the way to the Father. And one of them says, we do? He's like, we, we don't even know the, we don't know the way to heaven. He's like, yeah, you do. It's me. I've been with you for three years. I'm the one. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And they're like, okay, Jesus, smile, smile, and nod. And then he says things like, you know, the Father and I, we're one. And Philip's like, okay, hold on, you know, we all have dads. We understand that, and you know, you've said you're like, you know, that you're God's son, and we get that, you know, that sure, you're, you're you know, God could be your father. We get that. But I can't be my dad. We're like two different, how do you be your dad? You know, how are you, are you saying you're God? And he's like, yeah. And they scratch their heads and like, I, I don't get this. I, I do not get this. And then all of a sudden he says, you know what? Uh, I'm leaving, and then I'm, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And they're like, you're leaving? He's like, yeah, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And when I do, I'm going to come to you. And they're like, okay, is the Holy Spirit coming or is it you coming? He's like, yes. I'm like, I don't get this. He's like, okay, never mind. Judas, you're going to betray me. Peter, you're going to deny me. Let's just go. Let's get out of here. And so they end dinner and they leave. And these guys are like, this is the weirdest dinner ever. And so they begin walking. They have no idea what's about to happen. But here's, after all of that, you've heard these scriptures before, but you may not have heard all of the stuff that led up to it. Well, here's what happens. John chapter 15. We're just going to read a couple verses there. Jesus, as he's walking, they're all like confused, like, oh, I don't know. And Jesus, as they, as they begin walking to the Garden of Olives for prayer, here's what, here's what happens. Jesus says to them this, John chapter 15, verse 1. He says, I'm the true grapevine or the true vine, and my father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. Like, oh, there's that fruit thing. And then, and then he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. He says, you've already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. He says, remain in me, and I'll remain in you. For a branch can't produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. You can't be fruitful unless you remain in me. He says, yes, I am the vine. That's who I am, but here's who you are. He says, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them, they'll produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch, and they wither. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me, and if my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you're my true disciples. And this brings great glory to my Father. As I read all of that, I'm like, couldn't you have said it in a better point form where it would be easier to preach from? Because, you know, there's certain things he kind of goes, starts, and then goes back, and then he kind of jumps around. But here's what he says in the overall thing. He says to them, okay, fellas, I'm the true vine. And they're like, man, everything else you've said tonight is just way out there. And now you're doing it again. Because for them, 
all through the Old Testament, every time it talked about a vine, it was talking about this nation of Israel. You had to be connected to the nation of Israel. If, you, if salvation was in that nation, they're the vine. They're the vine that he took out of Egypt. They may have even quoted it in their prayers that morning from Psalm chapter eight, uh, 80. And he's like, he's like, you know what? But I'm the true vine. And they're like, okay, so now you're going to change like the whole salvation story and everything? We don't get it. And he says, you know what? I, I'm the vine. You're the branches. So he says, remain in me. He uses that word 10 times in these verses. Remain, stay, abide, hang out here, stay connected here. He says, let my words remain. Let them stay in, uh, connected to you. Remain, stay connected to my love. And he says, my joy is going to remain in you. It's not going to be this life where you're like, you know, I'm happy. I'm not happy. I'm happy. I'm not happy. You're going to have this different strength that's going to carry you through if you stay connected to me. He says, you know, he describes for them this integral relationship between the vine and the branches. He's like, you guys are the branches and I want you to bear fruit. I want your lives to show that there's a connection. But he says, realize something. You can't do this on your own. So if you hear tonight, you're like, oh, we got to bear fruit. I got to figure out how I'm going to do this. You missed the point because the point of all of the previous messages has been that you just need to be in Christ. You just need to stay connected to Christ. Branches cannot bear fruit without the vine. But the other side of the coin is that bearing fruit matters. It matters to him. You know, he starts off by saying, you know, if it doesn't bear fruit, it gets taken away. That, that being in Christ has got to affect something other than just that. Those who remain in Christ and his word remains in them, I think it's in verse 5, it says, they will bear much fruit. If you're in Christ and you know you're in Christ, and you're convinced that this is where I am. I'm loved. I'm accepted. I'm forgiven. I'm righteous in him. I am a child of God. I'm not a slave to fear. I am in Christ. It gets you a little excited on the inside. And that begins to permeate out. And at work, somebody's like, you're no good. You're a loser. Actually, I'm not. I'm loved. You know, if kids at school start picking on you, you're just a dork. You're a dweeb. No, actually, I'm accepted. You're like, what? How, how, how can they feel like that when everything else around... Because I know who I am. I'm in Christ. I'm connected to him. He says, stay connected to him. And it's, Romans chapter 12 says it. As your mind is renewed, as you begin to realize God's word about me is true, and that's so ingrained in your mind, it begins to transform your life. Jesus described it in Luke chapter 8. Well, I guess Luke described what Jesus said. But he said the, the, those seeds that are sown, people who bear fruit, they're the ones who hear the word. They decide that. These, all these words are action words. They decide they're going to hear the word. They also decide they're going to hold on to the word. They're, going, they're not just like, oh, yeah, I went to Kingsway, and I heard him preach, and then I left and went to Tim Hortons, and I don't remember anything after that. Oh, maybe it was Hewitt's. That's, he's saying, no, 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 no. They listen to the word, and then they grab onto it, and they're like, I'm going to study this thing. I, I'm not just going to hear. I'm going to get it in here. And they said those people have by choosing to hear and by choosing to hold on have chosen to bear fruit. And they'll bear much fruit, he says. You think, Jesus, why are you so concerned about us bearing fruit? The disciples are probably sitting there like, we've got a ton of questions we've got to ask them, but this one for sure. You know, Jesus... Why, why do you care so much about us bearing fruit? Because they're talking about it on the way. They never had the chance to ask him. 
They end up at the garden. They're like, okay, fellas, I got a question. We're going to pray now. Okay, well, I'll ask in a minute. And he's like, okay, you know what? Um, he's like, I got a question. He's like, yeah, well, I'm going to go pray over here. I'm like, okay, try and stay awake. And they fall asleep. They forget. These soldiers show up. That's the night that Jesus gets betrayed. That's the night he gets tried, condemned to death. They're like, well, we probably shouldn't ask him a question now. We don't want anybody to know we're connected. And so then the next day, they watch their Savior, they watch their friend be crucified. Then they watch him die. We can't ask him anymore. Then, then he's buried. And then a few days later, he rises from the dead. And they're like, everything they heard that night all of a sudden makes sense. You said you're God. Yeah, you can die and rise from the dead. Yeah, yeah, God can do that. I get it. You know, and it's like they start thinking about all these things. You know, the first will be last. You're God and you came to this planet. I get what you mean by like lowering yourself and serving. I get, I get it. And they began to understand these things, and they just got to the spot, you know what? If a guy dies and rises from the dead, then we just believe what he says. And if he says we're supposed to bear fruit, we believe that. We'll just, we're going to do that. Well, how do we do it? But he said, you know, he said, stay connected to me. Well, they understood all this stuff. They realized that when Jesus said, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, they were there in that moment. When Holy Spirit came in them and on them, he reminded them of truth, and they went out and shared this story everywhere. And people started to believe that they could be forgiven of their sins because this, this man had died and rose from the dead. And a whole bunch of people in all these little towns started to believe and follow Christ. And then there's a man named Paul. And Paul wrote letters to these new believers in all these little towns and cities. He wrote letters to them, letters that we have today. And he mentions this topic in every single one of the letters he writes. Not only does he write, I want you to know Christ. The second thought of it is, I want you to bear fruit. In Romans, he says in chapter 7, verse 4, you can look them up later. He says, you've become dead to the law through Christ so that you'll bear much fruit towards God. In Galatians 5, verse 16, he says, walk, which means live. Live your life in the Spirit, not based on rules. Live just in this life with Holy Spirit. And he says, you, you're not going to fulfill all the desires of your flesh. Oh, they'll still be there every once in a while, those desires to do things you know you shouldn't. But if you just trust Holy Spirit, Something's going to happen in your life. It's going to look like this. It's going to be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. They're not really um, all actions. They're not really all attitudes, but they're all good. Something, he says, is, it's gonna, that, that fruit will be in your life. In Ephesians 5, verse 8 and 9, he says, For, once, he says, for, for you were once darkness, but you what? are light. You're not, you're not trying to become brighter. Oh, God, if I go to church on Saturday night, I, I'm shining for you, right? You know, God, if I, I try not to swear so much, I, I'm getting brighter, right? I'm, I'm being a better. He's like, no, you are light. You know why? You're light in the Lord. You're light in Christ already. So he just says, I already took care of that. Now just live in it. He says, you're a branch. Just be, a, be the best branch you can be. You're already the light. Just live as a light. Just shine. And he says, the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Philippians and Colossians, he prayed for them that they would have the right knowledge of God, that they would have true knowledge of who God was, of who they were in Christ, and also for the reason that they would bear all kinds of fruit in their works. Why did Jesus and Paul care so much about this idea that you would bear fruit? Why do we talk about it for four weeks? Not just so that you guys would be able to say, yeah, I know I'm in Christ. The enemy comes and tells me, you know what? Guilt, shame, guilt, shame. I, I just point them to the cross. I'm not worthy because I'm so great. I'm worthy because of what he's done for me. Guilt and shame, not my master. Not because I was a good boy, but because of what Jesus Christ has done 
for me. To get to that spot that we would bear fruit in our lives, Jesus and Paul cared so much about it. You know why? It goes back to that first scripture we looked at. Because you can identify a tree by its fruit. You can identify, and we've been talking about identity this whole time, about how we identify ourselves. The biggest question is, how does everybody else identify you? Because that's how he plans to win the world. We can identify trees. I was in the sugar bush with Mark Easton the other day. He's a friend of, friend of mine, and he, uh, it was an awesome. I took my kids there, and we're walking through the bush, and he's like, he's pointing out trees. He's like, that's an elm tree, and that's an old ash tree. It's got the ash borer, and it's dying. And we're walking. I'm looking. At, they all look the same to me. You know, I'm like, I don't know. How does he know the trees? But he's like, I've been out in the bush all my life. I can tell the difference based on the bark or the shape or type of the tree. And I'm like, I knew all the maple trees because they all have buckets on them. But that was the only way I, I could tell the difference, right? And I wish that when I was a kid, I knew it because as a kid, um, me and my, my uh, cousins, we wanted to make maple syrup, and we just went to the bush, and we put taps. We had the taps. We had the buckets. We had no idea what trees to put them in. We just put in a whole bunch of trees. They weren't maple trees. We got nothing, right? But because you can only tell. You can only tell. Most of, I mean, you guys are laughing at me. Most of you couldn't tell either. Right? You can only tell based on the fruit. So I got a few here just to test the theory. How many of you know what kind of tree this is? Mango, orange? Public school. Oh. What kind of tree is this? Apple tree. You can see it. What's this? Orange tree. What's this? Very good. And what's this? The Swiss spaghetti tree. 1957, the BBC put out that there was a Swiss spaghetti trees, and people called from all over England to find out where they could get their own Swiss spaghetti trees until they found out later it was an April Fool's joke, and I, I just loved it. But obviously, you can tell. why You can tell the tree by its fruit. One of the biggest reasons for us to understand our identity in Christ isn't really for us, because it's not really just about trees. What Christ thought, and if you miss everything else, don't miss this. He wants the world to be able to identify him by identifying you by the fruit in your life. He wants to be able to see the world being able to identify you by your fruit. He said to his disciples, by this, everyone's going to know you're my followers, that you love one another. That's fruit, that you can like, man, how does all these people, look around this place for a minute. How do all of these crazy, look around, these crazy people, how do they hang out with one another on a regular basis and not like kill each other sometimes? Some of, some, some of us are pretty annoying, you know. I don't know if you, you've noticed that. And yet, what, what, no pointing. <laughs> it, is that, it is that idea, though, that he's told us to love one another. We may not agree on everything, but we agree that he's called us to love one another. He says, you know, that's how the world's going to tell. When people, I love our church, by the way. When people come in here and they're like, I just feel like so welcomed here. Like, I don't feel that anywhere else that I go. There's something about this place. That's him. That's the fruit in your life that they walk in and they're like, they're picking that fruit of, I feel accepted. Why? Because you're accepted. You know you are, so you can just accept others. You know you're loved, so you can just love others. You've been greatly forgiven. So when someone wrongs you, you can forgive others. It's not that they would just identify you by your actions. And here's such a powerful thought. Do you realize that when they can identify you by your actions, that you're a Christ follower? That they can identify him as well? 
Because people, when you go out and you see, what's the first thing they notice on a tree? The fruit. The second thing they'll notice is the branch. The third thing they'll notice is the vine. It's the same with us. They're going to notice your fruit first. They're going to notice your works first. Then they're going to be like scratching their head like, well, what's up with this person? They're just way too loving. They're way too generous. They're way too kind. I, I don't get that. And then they look a little deeper. And who do they see? Matthew chapter 5, he wrote it this way. It's a challenge for each of us. He says, you are the light of the world. You, know, you don't try to be. You already are. You are the light of the world. Like a city set on a hilltop that can't be hidden, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp's placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, in the same way that a light shines, he's like, let your good deeds shine. Same as that fruit of good works. Let it shine for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. It's not to make you look great. It's that idea of you shine there like, man, there's got to be a God. I knew that person 10 years ago. And look at them now. Let them glorify your Father in heaven. You know, you are the light, so shine for them to see. You are forgiven, so you can forgive. You are loved, so you can love. You are accepted, so you can accept others. They see your actions and attitude first, and then they can see Christ in you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We kind of finish this one off tonight. Ephesians 2, verse 8, it's 8 to 10. It says this, For by grace you've been saved through faith, mad not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But he says, but we are his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're not saved by our good works. That's not why you're trying to do it. You've been created for good works. You know, it's not because you're afraid of what God's going to do to you, but rather as a result and a response to what Christ has done for you. That you're like, you know what? I'm not doing these good works to impress God. I'm just thankful for what he's done in my life. How do I thank him for the amazing gift he's given me. And so as we close tonight, my question is this. How do others really identify you? At your work, at your school, you know, on your hockey team. How would they identify you? Think about this for a minute. Would they identify you or can they identify you that you are in Christ and that Christ is in you? Would they say that about you? If no one at your work knows that you're a Christian and you've been there for 25 years, that says something. If no one at your high school knows that you're a follower of Jesus, that says something. If no one in your inner circle of friends that you hang out with regularly knows, you know, that you're hanging out here on Saturday night and that's why you're not with them, and that you're, say, a follower of Christ, it says something. I love this thing. It's from way, way long time ago, but it's still cool. It says this, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? think about that. You know, I thought about that first sentence of Barnabas, you know, and I think about this. So my question we close with is what we started with. How do you wish and how do you want people to identify you? You know, my niece Eden, we were praying for her earlier. Eden and Ronnie and Tracy are at the hospital and, you know, it's been just incredible to see is to watch as they've gone through this, the fruit that's in their lives. It's incredible to see love and joy and peace when there really shouldn't be any peace. There shouldn't be any joy in, in everyone else's thoughts. The patience, the kindness, the courage that's in their lives at this point. People are talking about them in the hospital. They're having the chance to share their faith with some of the Muslim visitors and volunteers. They're sharing their, their story with others and their confidence that they have in Christ. 
There's something about that family. What's happening in that situation? People are seeing fruit in their lives. And guess what? As they let their light shine, people could come to know the Lord as a result. They may see Jesus in, in that situation. So my challenge for you tonight is this. This is who you are. You are the branches. He says, just live like it. You are the branches. Just remain connected to Christ and be the best branch you can be. You are in Christ. Get that so solid in you and then just stay there. That you could say this, I am in Christ. I am loved. I am accepted. I am forgiven. I am right with God because of what he has done for me. I am no longer in darkness. I am in the light. Sin is not my master. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. I'm part of his family. I'm a friend of God. I've been blessed with all spiritual blessings. I'm seated with him in heavenly places. I'm promised eternal life with him. And nothing can separate me from his love. And it has nothing to do with me. I am in Christ. And based on all of that, I'm just going to be the best branch that I can be. I'm going to get in his word and get his word in me. I'm so, you know, as I think about it, I was just sharing with some others. Tracy had shared with, uh, with us, she said, you know, even the first moment that they heard that they had found this massive tumor in her daughter, that she said, you know, it's like the Lord for the last two years, has, as I've been in the Word, He's been preparing me for this moment. That the very verse she had her Bible study memorized the day before she went to the hospital was, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Why stirring all of that up? This is who I am. This is who I am. I never know when I'm going to need it, but I'm going to shine no matter what, no matter where. I'm so proud of all of you who've joined a Bible study or joined a small group or have got on the YouVersion Bible app or doing Bible study somewhere, putting his word in your heart. If you're listening online tonight because you want his word in your heart, I'm proud of you for doing that because as you sow his word into your heart and realize this is who I am in Christ, I'm going to stay connected to him. He's got the ability to shine. Lives will be changed as a result of you. Can we pray? I'd like to pray with you what Paul prayed over those followers of Christ in other, those towns. And from Colossians, he just prayed and we agree. Father, we ask that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will, with all wisdom, Lord, and spiritual understanding, that we might walk worthy of you, Lord, that we'd be fully pleasing to you, that we'd be fruitful in every good work and we'd increase in our knowledge of you. Would you strengthen us tonight with all might according to your glorious power, that we would have all patience and long-suffering that we need. With joy, we give thanks to you, Father, because you've qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints. You've delivered us from the power of darkness. You brought us into the kingdom of your Son, and you brought us into your love. It's in Jesus that we have redemption through his blood. We have the forgiveness of sins, and from the bottom of our heart and with all that we are tonight, we say thank you, thank you, and thank you. Holy Spirit, help us to remember that as we leave this place, we don't leave you, but that we are in you and that you are in us. And may our world be changed. May we be transformed as a result. Love you, and it's for your name. Amen.